the end zone, and it is caught. Adolf here. Chubb. Down inside. The silent count. He bails out of the pocket there. And oh, Josh Hallers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the JWB Dynasty Digest, where we give you a consumable dynasty perspective. He's Skyler. I'm Wyatt. And today we are joined by a special guest. You can find him contributing some best ball content at Fantasy Six Pack and 14 Personnel. But today he's here to talk about some dynasty. You can find him on Twitter at FF underscore engineer. Preston, how are you? Doing well, doing well. You know, just another Monday, but hey, at least we have a startup going on right now. So. <laughs> right, we, we are, are in the throes of a best ball dynasty startup right now. Pretty exciting so far. How do you think that's going for you while we're on that? Ooh, so far, it's not too bad, I guess I would say. It's a little bit difficult kind of evaluating this, how this group's going to react because they've kind of right. shifted all over the place. So it's been a little bit different, but nonetheless, I think I've at least gotten some decent value so far. A couple of rookie picks, though, so we'll definitely have to see how those play out, though. Yeah, okay. I've, I've like... Got a quick interjection, yeah. For anyone who's listening who doesn't who doesn't have any experience with best ball for Dynasty, why don't you uh, throw us like a quick sixty second elevator speech on what's what's different about the best ball and like why you enjoy doing these best ball drafts around this point as opposed to like your typical startup? Yeah, so the main thing with best ball is that you don't actually have to deal with the issues of start and sit. Your lineup is determined for you based on the computer. So whoever is the highest score for that position each week just automatically gets filled into your lineup. And so doing best ball startups this early on or you know, doing them in the place of dynasty startups this early on just helps mitigate that issue that come August you have 15 leagues you're trying to manage all at once and all of a sudden – it becomes super overwhelming once the season hit it hits and you know makes the season not fun when it should be fun. So doing it through best ball kind of gets the draft fix in, but also allows you to have some more free time not having to manage a million different start sit type leagues. Yeah, that's that's my favorite thing about best ball is that basically it amplifies <laughs> the importance of the draft and that's the best part of any league. So like, you know, I, I love them. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say in our in our league Preston that we're doing right now that we're in, I'm doing something completely different and I'm really heavy running back at this point, basically just because that's the way the draft board was falling for me and I kind of just leaned into it at this point. But like I think I have one wide receiver at this point. It's we're like round twelve. It's it's way different for me, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, see, I don't think I have a wide receiver yet, but <laughs> yeah, right. no, I don't have a running back yet. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm complete opposite boat as you right now. But. Yeah, you're staying true to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I can't say it's off. Is that, yeah. is that your new way, Why Just no wide receivers that deep in the draft? Because the startup we're in uh, right man, now. I, it, it feels super weird. Super yeah. weird. And, and I've, I, like I said, I leaned into it. I'm taking what look are big values at running back for me based on my board and just skewing wide receiver. And I'm just going to figure it out later because I'd rather just accumulate as much value as I can in my mind and then just figure it out after the fact. What? Let's get back to the show. <laughs> Before we do our little main segment, as always with our guests, we like to have some fun with a little would you rather. Preston, are you ready? I think so. Okay, so here's the deal. Either you have to go row best running back. I'm talking 
four running backs to start every draft in every single draft you do on from here on out or you have to quit best ball <laughs> wow that's not even really like an ultimatum that's just a... yeah you can keep playing I, best ball but you got to go road best running back with every single draft or you can just stop playing best ball but you get to draft whatever you want yeah i i think i would have to just just stick with robust running back for the sake of being able to do best ball in the first place but it would be tough you know I, i've certainly experimented and done quite a bit of the hyper fragile type builds in the first place which kind of revolve around taking you know two to four running backs early in the first place kind of leaving yourself more room to load up on wide receivers and whatnot so i do enjoy that going for right off the bat is a little bit extreme but hey <laughs> if it means i can keep playing it means i can keep playing yeah best ball liver die i guess you know you just gotta stand by it <laughs> true all right now main topic lesson learned for dynasty from this past season what do you got for us so the main thing for me would have to be just kind of understanding and, and having a better idea of the, the differences between chasing upside in dynasty versus other formats like redraft and best ball. I, I know you guys play other formats. A lot of people out there nowadays are playing a lot of different formats. And for me, I'm, yeah, I'm constantly playing best ball. Um, like we've alluded to multiple times now, and I do play a fair amount of redraft too, but it's really kind of about distinguishing the differences of like what we're really chasing with the upside between the two, because for me, a, a big thing that was reoccurring last year was with the elite tight ends and specifically with Kelsey Kittle and Waller. And so I, I did a lot of research kind of in the off season and really focused on just how elite their ceilings were and how much upside <clears throat> those guys really offered in the first place from more of a redraft perspective to begin with. But it really kind of got me hooked into the mindset for Dynasty 2 and not saying those guys didn't offer great upside because they do but it's a matter of they were already being priced up in the first place they're all coming off great seasons people in general were overvaluing them and i was just eating right into it i was always trying to acquire them um you know whether it was in a startup or just by trading for them when they're already at a peak value but it was because i did see the the value that they had and um, i think i was just a little bit too focused on how their value translated between redraft and dynasty because using a second round pick uh, or even a first round pick what kelsey was going sometimes in redraft and best ball is a lot different than using still a second or third round pick in a startup for even a tight end premium because the main factor is their ages and so but all three of those guys are a little bit older and i think i just really needed to factor that aspect in and this has nothing to do with kind of the hindsight aspect that all three of them didn't really live up to adp regardless because i i think they were great picks still at their adps despite not performing in terms of redraft and best ball but for dynasty i think the evaluation was just off in my head and so it's kind of distinguishing those two from one another if i could have really done it differently i think i would have more so focused on those younger guys like andrews hawkinson even pitts when possible i know pitts was ne you know never easy to acquire in the first place ever <laughs> since he stepped foot into the, the fantasy landscape but and you know there was certainly a time back then when you could at least trade a, a Kelsey plus or something like that. And I would have much rather even settled for doing something along that or taking the risk on Andrews or Hawkinson, not knowing what their full ceiling was, but getting those multiple round discounts, getting that discount on them in the first place for a younger tight end and just 
you know, kind of taking a shot on what the upside that turns into be. So I think really it's just separating, separating what we want and what we're chasing in terms of upside between the different formats for me. Yeah, it's a really more nuanced conversation once you talk about upside in Dynasty. When we're talking about redraft or best ball, we're just talking upside in production, right? Like what what's their their potential for production? But in Dynasty, we're also talking about their potential in terms of value in the trade market. And well, their value, you know, can go up and down much, you know, speaking picks, it, it, it becomes a much bigger conversation once you move into the dynasty realm. It's it, it's an interesting thing. It, it affects a lot, a lot of different accesses. Yeah, yeah it, definitely. Admittedly, I was also a little too a little too high in Waller last offseason. I was taking him around that two three turn and that that bite. Seeing him slide to the sixth seventh round in some leagues is like it's kicking me in the back now. I still don't hate. <laughs> His, his bounce back potential and the difference he can make for you in the short term. But looking back, you know, age 29, tight end, probably was overpriced at around 2-3. But I still I still love him as a player. But just leading into what you were saying about looking at where they can go in terms of market value and taking a tight end there at their absolute peak. If they don't perform that season and give you, you know, a top two or three tight end season right away, you're going to lose value. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even like you were saying, where they're going now and how they're sliding so much more down, I think that's just more appropriate in the first place. And yeah, even going somewhere around around six or seven is a lot more on par, but just where they're going before, it should have just been more of a even around four type situation just to actually take a more realistic approach because they certainly do still have upside over the course of the next few seasons, especially someone like Waller who maybe doesn't have quite as much wear and tear as someone like Kelsey but you know that's the thing is that the amount of capital we were spending on him was just far too much I think the chasing the upside in dynasty can get especially interesting in those later rounds of startups because at that point you're really looking at what players can give me some sort of return on my investment and who has you know the easiest path to that and that's the upside you know you're looking for I mean like I I try to say, you know, in drafts, after a certain point, you just try to strictly draft an upside, right? Uh, you're trying to win your leagues, not not you're trying to play to win, not play to not lose. So really, you should just be shooting for the highest potential possible at a certain point. In the earlier rounds, it's understandable to want some sort of floor attached to some of your players, and you're weighing that a little bit more because you don't want to crater your draft. Uh, but yeah, soon, when you go deeper into those rounds, it's really important to think about these players who have higher upside, especially in value, like we're talking about, like sometimes you might not like a player, but you could see a scenario in which they have the ability to be worth more um, in a month or two. Like we're getting ready to enter free agency. There's lots of players right now whose value is gonna be drastically different once free agency opens. And that's things you kind of have to think about when you're doing these drafts. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of to that point too, just some of the the injury players too, you're getting such a big discount on a lot of those players coming off injury in the first place. And that's another way to really kind of chase that value because there's so many guys starting with, you know, ETN who was kind of going surprisingly late in this startup in the first place, but there's all those other guys still left out there. There's guys like DJ Chark, Kenny Galladay, guys dealing with production struggles or some sort of injury coming off that. And there, there's certainly room for them to, you know, revert back or regress back to some of their previous states where they actually had much better seasons and whatnot. And so that's always another kind of way I like to at least bet on the upside with some of those later round picks. Yeah, ETN is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier in this this show when we were talking about the draft that we're in right now, the best ball draft. I took ETN, I took him at 8-3. 
And I had no need for a running back at that point, but he was just so huge value because people, you know, his, the injury that happened, you know, has dropped his value so much, but you know, that's someone who the season starts and he's looking like Travis Etienne, like we expected in this Doug Peterson offense without Urban Meyer around, you know, and everything's roses is again. And boom, he's right back to possibly being top 10 RB in dynasty. Yeah, yeah and, definitely. Cause I mean, he was drafted as the RB one and, and as the NFL, like, so, you know, there's a lot of aspects that he certainly could just really come back and make a huge balance back. But the injury is certainly a little, little iffy but hey that's why you got the discount in the first place i mean with, right. with travis Etienne, he uh players managers are going to be looking for any reason to kind of get excited about him so like 803 is just like a dunk when you're looking for chasing upside with guys early you're looking on players that even if they were to get injured or if they had an off season are gonna you know could still have the ability to go up in ADP from this year to next year, or at least stay somewhat similar. Like Travis Etienne right now is usually going around that mid sixth, late sixth, early seventh kind of territory. Um, and that's right around where he was going last year. Like he was going maybe the five, six turn last year. The guy had a Liz Frank injury. It still held that value, right? So like, that's why when I'm looking at what kind of young players to target, in these startups, it's a much different mentality than I had maybe three or four years ago when I was passing on these players I didn't quite know as well for the for some more proven veterans. Whereas players like ETN, even if something happens, he's still going to hold the value. And I like to look at that with uh, you know anyone anyone that's young like that and unproven, whether it's a running back or a wide receiver. Um, you know, like looking at this year, you know, guys like Elijah Moore or. Um, Michael Pittman or Devonta Smith, or if you're going to take any rookies, um, just looking at guys where people are looking for reasons to get excited about them and where even if something happened, their, their value is going to hold somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. a really important aspect of uh, startup drafts, that like value insulation of certain players, players like ETN, high draft capital, really good prospect coming out, uh, you know, the, the big pedigree, those types of players can withstand that type of injury and still retain a large amount of value. I mean, like 2020, what we had, that was uh, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, uh, T. Higgins. They were all kind of going in that rounds, like five to eight territory in startups. And every single one, I mean, of course, they all produce, but they all kind of held that value. And the outlier there is Jerry Judy hasn't really put up many numbers, and he's still really not still lost. There. We're two years removed from when he was this hot prospect, and people are still looking for reasons to get excited for him, as opposed to a guy like Jalen Rager, who who might have had Rager. <laughs> Rager is a guy who might have had that draft capital, but like people were looking for reasons for him to fail. Like that, I feel like that was more the consensus. So it's not just about getting people who necessarily have that draft capital or who have um, – you know who are who are just young. It is really looking about these types of players that have the insulated thing based on the market, based off you know the public perception of these guys. Like a guy like Tony, I feel like is another guy people were kind of waiting to fail. So I don't think his value is as secure as other guys from last year's draft class who got somewhat similar draft capital. You know, and like you look at all the guys who went around five to eight last year, um, Chase Smith, Waddle, Bateman. They all held Elijah Moore. They all held that value. Or increased it. Even a guy like Bateman didn't do anything. He's going at the same spot he went last year, right around round seven, eight, nine, right in that territory. So, when I am chasing the upside in setups, those are the kind of players I'm targeting. It's not just about going young or going for draft capital. It really is about looking at the big picture around these players. 
And um, I have some starters right now where I just took Elijah Moore pretty early. Uh, I took Brandon Ayuk pretty early. And I personally like if I am going to take those risks on those players, trying to move out of one of my earlier picks to get an extra pick in that five to eight territory where I can take a guy like Mike Evans or, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, where I'm I'm kind of hedging against if that young player doesn't quite produce, I still have that production in my lineup. If you take all of these risk players, it is it is a little different because if it doesn't go your way or the class isn't as good as you think it is, uh, your team could be uh, in a tough situation real quick. Preston, I got a question for you. When you're doing a dynasty startup that's best ball as opposed to just a normal one, does your draft strategy change at all? Now you can you can be coy with me if you want because we are in one right now in the midst of it. I'll happily give any amount of strategy that I have right after this, but I'm I'm curious if you had anything because you are the best ball aficionado here. Yeah, I think the main thing that probably would change is just some of the much more later rounds when I'm kind of rounding out my team in the first place. I'll I'll definitely take more of a better look at my roster in the first place and kind of see where I need more help in terms of total numbers of players, how, you know, how many did, or how, you know, how well did I invest in certain positions? How much draft capital did I use in the first place of running back and so on and so forth? <clears throat> because, you know, like I was saying, I've, I think I've taken maybe one running back through however many rounds or through this point, like 10 rounds. And so I'm certainly going to have to try to end with a lot of running backs. And now that's more typical kind of to the punted off and do zero RB, but even, you know, for the flip side at wide receiver, I was in the opposite, but I would certainly want to try to maximize as many wide receivers as possible. Like I'd probably consider stopping early at running back and not taking, you know, too many, depending on how many I have, just for the sake of thinking about how they can actually contribute on a week to week basis when I, you know, have them essentially making their way into the lineup on spike weeks. And it's not me, you know, choosing who to start and sit this week. Um, so I kind of want that volume and I'm going to be a little bit more cognizant of that uh, than I typically would. Whereas if I was in a, a managed league, if I'm sitting at the end, I'm probably going to draft maybe a little bit more for who my guys are. So whether that's a running back, if I don't maybe need running back as much, but clearly, at, you know, in the 18th round, I have plenty of wide receiver and tight end quarterback starters. I'll go ahead and take a running back that I like because I, you know, you know, feel good about that type of dart throw. Whereas if I actually need an extra wide receiver for the sake of best ball. And, you know, if this could actually be my eighth, ninth, tenth wide receiver, I'd probably like to grab one of those guys instead just to fill up and expand more with quantity over quality. Yeah, the only thing that I could like think of really going into it was that I was going to put a premium on a third quarterback um, just be- with it, us like ours being super flex. Um, you know, in super flex, it puts that big premium on quarterbacks and that w- even I think is even uh, more important in best ball so that you can always be sure you're getting the maximum points in your QB spot. As we know, QBs score the most points. Now that hasn't quite worked out for me so far in our draft, but <laughs> it was something that I was, I was toying around with it. If, if I thought it made sense, I was going to take three quarterbacks early. It just didn't end up working out that way for me. Yeah, I definitely think quarterback is another good one to consider, especially taking a third, even a fourth if you take, you know, depending on your your roster size and whatnot, if you take maybe two punts or something like that, or, you know, take three early, whatever the case may be. I think that's another good one. But I think a lot of people sometimes like to get caught up in the typical strategies that we have in best ball and try to translate them to dynasty, certain types of roster construction, whether it's, you know, sticking with 
you know, four running backs or, you know, a set number of a different position. I think that people get way too caught up into that when at the end of the day, you know, you have players that are, you know, over the course of your dynasty, they're going to be retiring. You're going to get into trades. The numbers on your roster, the numbers of each position are going to fluctuate so much. And you don't ever want to have to sit there in your rookie draft and say, I'm going to pass on this wide receiver because I need a running back. Like you want to always stay in that typical draft for value and draft the best player. And so for that reason, I think people get too caught up in trying to translate exact roster constructions and draft strategies from traditional redraft best ball. Right. As always, you, you got to stay water in your drafts. You can't, you can't be too rigid in, in the ways that you draft. I mean, we all have our little preferences, the way that we like to draft. And like I always say that I, I rank my players in a way that it's already taking into account my preferences for positions, but you always have to be ready to move at a moment's notice in a draft. Yeah, absolutely. Being fluid is extremely helpful. And that's honestly the best part about playing best ball is just going through so many drafts throughout the year that you're almost always prepared. Like you've been in so many different situations of what happens now. I wanted this player. I needed this position, but now I'm at this, you know, I'm at this pick and I don't have them anymore. And so being able to be fluid and fluctuate on a dime like that. So. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I think that's going to do it. This was great, Preston. I'm really happy you were able to join us. I love the best ball talk. I want to do more of it, honestly. I just started being able to do best ball last you, you year. You just so slow like, down, Wyatt. You just slow down. I'm full board of best ball right now. I love it. I'm so happy we were able to mix up the best ball and the dynasty. It was great having you here, Preston. Uh, before we get out of here, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, I would just say I'm starting over at 14P this week and going to be doing some video best ball content for them, for them. So be sure to check it out whenever my first video drops this week. But, you know, as always, I'm always down to talk best ball. <laughs> All right. As for us, you can find Skyler on Twitter at the FF Buffalo. You can find me at YB underscore FF. You can find all of our content at JWBFantasyFootball.com. Go over there for our articles, rankings, everything, projections. We got lots of stuff there. And while you're here, like, subscribe, follow, do all of it. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time.